When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show. The first one of the week and the very last one of February as spring springs forward and we reach the final throws of the Premier League season with just over a quarter of the season to go now. I'm Jim Salverson and the first silverware of the season has been handed out as Liverpool overcame Chelsea in the League Cup final. A penalty fest decided by sub-keeper Kepper missing the decisive spot kick. We'll discuss the decision to take off Man of the Match Mendy before those spot kicks shortly. We'll also talk about football's reaction to the crisis in Ukraine. It might feel like small potatoes compared to everything else at stake at the moment, but the current invasion of the sovereign state is causing some concern for Chelsea fans about the future of their club, and there are questions over FIFA's action, or complete lack of action, against Russia too. And finally, the English FA have stepped up to the plate with their decision of what will happen if England were to face Russia in the future as well. We'll talk about that on the podcast in a bit and we're going to kick off this week with a bit of a Monday moan as well as we decide who should get in the sea from the weekend's football action. And to do all that, we've got Marley Anderson and Noel McCorn in the studio. How you doing, boys? Very good, Jim. Morning, Marley. Morning, Jim. Morning. Morning, morning. Right, let's start with the Caribou Cup final. And unusually, the one talking point from the game came at the end of the night. So we're going to start at the end because after a nil-nil, after extra time, etc., Thomas Tuchel made the call to replace Mendy, who had probably arguably been the man of the match for Chelsea, with Kepper for the penalties, bringing on his penalty specialist. Now, he saved none of the 11 penalties he faced and then missed his penalty kick, which he took more like a goal kick, launched into the upper tiers of Wembley Stadium to lose the spot kicks and hand the trophy to Liverpool. So here's the question, Marley. Does that go down, taking Mendy off and bringing Kepper on as the worst substitution ever made in football? <laughs> um Maybe not that far, just but only because it was the Carabao Cup. Like if that was like, the Champions League, then yeah, absolutely. Surely Ali Dia being subbed on for Southampton <laughs> takes yeah, the right. crown there. Yeah, good old Graham Souness. Bloody hell. Um, yeah, I mean, it's what it's just one of them. In it, it's like if it works, it's brilliant, and if it doesn't, it 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 it's awful, and you look like an absolute tit. But it's it's kind of like rolling a penalty. Like if it goes in, you're like, oh. How cool, mm. calm and collected. And if the keeper just simply picks it up, you look like an absolute div. Mm. So, I mean, the, the logic was there. He's a fantastic penalty saver. Um, but what is also there was his his shenanigans at Wembley um, in the Carabao Cup a few years ago when um, Maurizio Sarri tried to take him off. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't fancy it. He refused to come off and all the rest of it. And the the ego and the the thing uh, the occasion just sort of got to him I think and uh, as soon as Kelleher absolutely whipped probably the best penalty I've ever seen a goalkeeper take in the top corner I thought oh no he's got this is it's just got it written all over it and it that Kepa's the man who to 
who's gonna either blaze it wide or the goalie's gonna save it. Um, and that's that's how it happened. Um, I did see a funny, a funny video this morning. On I was on the train on the way in, and it was a picture of the um, the Liverpool fans behind the goal. A video of the Liverpool fans behind the goal, um, and they were all celebrating um, as the as the penalty was missed. But the best part of the penalty being missed and the the limbs going everywhere was the ball just sailing into them <laughs> in the crowd, <laughs> and it literally landed about. Twenty five rows back because he hit it that hard and that high, um, but yeah, shocking, uh, shocking way to to lose to lose a penalty shootout. There was logic in it, I guess. Now, I mean, Tuchel did the same thing in the UEFA so- Super Cup against Villarreal, and they mm-hmm. ended up winning that. So, could you understand the decision, even if it didn't work? Or when you've got a goalkeeper that has played so well as Mendy did in that game, do you just go, "Look, I've got faith in you. You're on form." I think that's it, Jim. I think that's the the key situation here. And as Marley says. Thomas Tuchel's an absolute genius if it pays off, but he's a fool if it doesn't. And sadly, he falls into the category of the latter, looking like a fool. And you're right, statistically, it makes sense and it's something he's done before. So if you look at the stats here, um, 94% of shots taken against Mendy from the penalty spot uh, have gone in. So 30 goals in 32 attempts. As for Kepa, only 71% of people have scored past him from the penalty spot, 17 goals in 24 attempts. So in terms of the statistics, the logic suggests it wouldn't be a bad choice. But you're right. And he should have saved three penalties. He should have saved three penalties. <laughs> but when you think about this in terms of what you've just said, Mendy was arguably the best player in the game up to that point. He's had a, a fantastic 18 months or so since yeah. he's joined Chelsea. He kind of deserves um, it, doesn't he? When you've played that well, he deserves his chance to be the hero to a certain extent. I, I suppose, but it's also the psychological element of it as well, isn't it? It's you know you've had a good game and then the keeper coming on to replace you. I think because it's such a specialist position as well, you can send one of your substitutes down the touchline to do a few stretches, warm up. Yeah. With a goalkeeper, it's a totally different skill. You know, trying to get warmed up and stuff. You don't send goalkeepers running up and down the touchline to do their stretches and, and do their jogging and stuff. You know, you kind of have to test them, mm. get their hands warm, get their limbs loose, because it's a different position. And I do think that there's a, a an element to that. Um, I just think psychologically it's tough for someone, especially like Kepa, who's got this history at Wembley, like Maurizio Sarri, uh, like Marley says about Maurizio Sarri, who, by the way, is probably... Call me Maurizio Sarri, then. I was going to say, he's got a <laughs> cigarette hanging out the corner of his mouth as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, with their whole history of that um, with Kepa and Maurizio Sarri from before, I think it all played into the narrative. And all in all, even though it was a disappointing moment for Kepa and for Tuchel and for Chelsea, and probably for Mendy, too, with the way he got taken off, I think... It's why we love football, isn't it? The narrative of it gets to the goalkeepers, one of them smashes it in, and the person who was brought on to save penalties doesn't save any, yeah. and balloons his shot under, you know, completely out of Wembley. It's um, it's part of the narrative of it. Um, so yeah, I think it's a tough one. I think it's harsh to point at Tuchel and say that he's an idiot for doing it because the statistics suggest, and he will know from training, that Kepa was a better saver yeah. of penalties, I, but it backfired. So I think the psychology of it was actually was all right. Like the, I think the psycho- psychological factor of Liverpool facing a goalkeeper who's just been brought on, like they know he's good at penalty yeah. saving, and like so it could it could have like, the logic was there that it could have easily worked in in Chelsea's favour, but you just didn't get anywhere near any of the penalties. And I just think psychologically, from Kepa's perspective, yeah, I think that's why he bottles it. 
Because yeah. he did, didn't he? He bottled it. He did. Yeah. He choked yeah. and smashed the, his the, penalty the over. The pressure yeah. is massively on. When you've come on as a specialist keeper and you've let in 10 penalties in At a row. At Liverpool end yeah. as well. Yeah, suddenly With, the pressure yeah. is massively on you in that scenario. But he, he should have started the game though as well, Kepa. He yeah. was he was a goalie yeah. all the way through it. You've seen fair. it with Kelleher at, at Liverpool. I've, I I was surprised. I didn't. I was playing football, so I didn't see the lineups come out. But when I turned it on, when I when I got in, it was... Um, I, you know, the, I think they rolled it back and I was like, is that Mendy in goal? It's like, yeah. And I was like, oh. Christ. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think... Just expected Kepa to start, as all. Yeah, I agree. We saw it in the Europa League final last season with Manchester United and Villarreal when um, it went to the goalkeepers and David De Gea didn't save any penalties yeah. and then missed his. <laughs> and the question marks were over David De Gea. Spanish keepers, man. Record of saving penalties was very, very poor, which it has been over the years. And he's saved a couple, actually, since that moment, which is good for him in terms of redemption. But it's one of those where it's a specialist position being a goalkeeper and... You know, it's the hero or zero, isn't it? And unfortunately mm. for Chelsea, they were zero. Usual narrative after this game. Liverpool fans saying how significant it is they've got silverware. Chelsea fans saying it's only the Carabao Cup. We don't <laughs> care. It happens every time there is a League Cup final. But I guess, will Thomas Tuchel take some positives from how they went toe-to-toe with Liverpool in this Mali? Because they did match yeah. them right the way through. It was a really close game. And, and Chelsea have been off the pace this season. They haven't performed as expected. But here they are playing Liverpool, who are one of the best teams in the Premier League. And they're taking it right to the line. And it was luck at the end of the day that saw them lose it. Yeah, I, I thought um, the performance was, was good. Um, I expected it to be a bit of a, a procession, really, for, for Liverpool. Just because... Liverpool are playing so well and Chelsea are, are struggling a, a little bit at the minute. They've had a couple of decent results lately, but not, you know, they, they didn't, they're not playing in anywhere near the same league as Liverpool, really. Um, so I expected Liverpool to like dominate the game and it'd just be a matter of time before they, they broke the deadlock. But it was probably the best nil-nil you could ever wish to see. It was a brilliant game. Um, a proper high quality. Chelsea were in it. I, um, I remember when Chelsea played Man City earlier in the season. Um, and they put 10 behind the ball and played like everyone else does against Man City and it really wound everyone up because they had the, the talent to go and go toe-to-toe with, with a club like Man City and it was nice to see them actually try and go toe-to-toe a little bit with Liverpool and the game was like swinging, the momentum was with Liverpool then with Chelsea at first, then Liverpool had a half an hour spell probably 20 minutes towards the end of the first half then Chelsea had the first 10-15 of the second half then it was Liverpool who looked more like scoring and you know, if if... If uh, flipping Timo Werner can ever stay on side, they probably would have won that won that game. And same with Lukaku. I mean, he was kind of unlucky, but millimeters. Yeah, was, yeah. If he'd had a, a few more, you know, if he'd been a little bit slimmer, a little bit skinnier, a little bit less muscle on him, he probably would have stayed on side with that. But I'm not sure about Timo Werner. Honestly, no one's ever been offside as much as that guy. Mm. He must have been born offside. Offside in the flipping <laughs> uh, delivery room when, when he was <laughs> straight out the womb. It's unbelievable how often he's, he's offside considering he's so quick. But yeah, Chelsea Chelsea had the chances. Blew it. Havertz with the volley. Um, uh, was it Mount in the first half? Mount, uh, who had mm. the, he, did he hit the post or something? Or was it uh, in the second half? Plenty of chances. Could have won it. But I thought Havertz know, was class it. as well. I thought he was really good. He was good, good yeah. Plenty of positives for Chelsea. As for Liverpool, that is Jurgen Klopp's first domestic cup win in England. And it's because he's not asked about them, is he? He well, usually just bins them off. Liverpool fans getting quite overexcited. There's claims that the quad is on Nile. Do you think there is any chance at all that Liverpool could win on four fronts now? 
Yeah. You think they could? I think there even is a the chance. Premier, you think they're still in the Premier League race? Well, I, I know you've been away for a week, Jim, but you obviously haven't looked at the table for a while because they're three <laughs> points behind Manchester City. Three points, is it now? It's the yeah. Manchester derby this weekend. So if Man City they're lose six to points, Manchester six United... six points behind City. No, it's three. It's three points. Well, no, it's six now because City won at the weekend. Of course they did. They beat Everton. <laughs> but you're but right. We've been right. away for a week. It, it, that is close slightly. Like, it's close. So if, if Manchester United beat Man City at the Etihad in the Manchester derby at the weekend, it's that gets three points. It is a big if, yeah, but we know what's happened in Manchester derbies. Uh, I mean, I don't think they're going to win the Premier League. I think Manchester City will win it. But your question of could they win all four? Yes, they could. Mm -hmm. They absolutely could. We said this when Manchester City were absolutely dominant two or three seasons ago. And Pep Guardiola was like, oh, it's ridiculous. We're never going to win four trophies or whatever. We're never going to win five trophies. It's impossible. And I think Pep's probably got a point. It it is quite close to being impossible. But um, with the way that Liverpool have gone and the fact that winning the Carabao Cup at the end of February has been a springboard traditionally for Manchester City to go on and win further silverware. There's no reason why Liverpool yeah. can't do the same thing. So they're still in the FA Cup. They're still well within the title race and we know how good they are in the Champions League as they've proven over history. So absolutely, I think they could win four. I don't think they will, but I think they could. We would never hear the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I think we should fold the podcast. <laughs> right, I was going to say, I can't, can't deal with him, uh, with the fans uh, driving to Manchester, celebrating outside Old Trafford, setting fire to their own city. Jesus. We're going to talk about slightly less positive things next. We're going to talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but not from a political standpoint, because it does have a knock-on effect with football. And although football might feel like a very small part of everything that's going on, there are still some significant developments and we'll talk about them next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Currently, we are working in partnership with Spond, which is a brilliant new app that helps you organise any group event, particularly sporting events. So if you organise a -a five-a-side football team or a squash ladder or a tennis league or whatever it is, you can save time with this free app that you can find in the App Store. All you need to do is search Spond. That's S-P-O-N-D. Now, what this app does is it allows you to do everything that you need to do for organising said league or friendly match or whatever it is. You can share files and pictures, you can create polls, you can set up schedules, you can manage events and most importantly, if you've ever organised one of these things, you'll know how difficult it is to collect the cash at the end. It helps you do that as well. And on average, the coach who uses or the organiser who uses Spond as an app to help them do all these things can save two and a half hours every week. What would you do with an extra two and a half hours each week, Marley? Sleep, Sleep. probably. What would you do, Niall? Yeah, I think I'd go with the same. Have a little kip. (laughs) There's an insight into the way Football Social Daily works. The boys want to sleep more if they had the opportunity. I know you were were hoping we'd say work. Yeah. yeah. Do something productive. No. (laughs) Extra productivity, but that's not how it's panned out. I kind of agree. I'd probably sleep as well. Leave work half an hour earlier each day. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to give Spond a go and sleep or leave work early or... Find your extra productivity, which is the correct answer, then you can do so. Just search Spond, give it a go. It's absolutely free. It will save you time. It's a brilliant little app and you can find it in the App Store or in the Play Store. S-P-O-N-D. We're going to talk about the English FA now who have arrived fairly 
late to the party last night, announcing that England will not play Russia in any international football for the foreseeable future. Now, this doesn't immediately affect England. It really is more important, the announcements made by the other clubs that are due to play Russia in the potential World Cup qualifying. It wouldn't happen for England until maybe the World Cup in Qatar if Russia then qualified. But it's taken the FA a long time to come up with this message. But it feels like the right and the inevitable call, doesn't it, Niall, to make this statement that it's off the table, it won't happen. From the FA's perspective, it's not just the men's team that won't be playing Russia in any fixtures in the foreseeable future. It's also the women's team, Mm. the age groups and the disability and para teams as well. They will not be fielding any sides against Russia. They'll not be entertaining the the thought of, of playing them in a match. That is the right call. And I think that we need to um, caveat this by saying that the players who play for Russia, it's not their fault, the football players. No. I think that's important to, to mention. We, d- we shouldn't be directing our anger at the players who play for Russia. It's unfortunate for them that they're going to lose out, but um, consequences have to be taken. It's only a small step. And listen, we're in the midst here of a, quite a serious issue. And I think football pales in comparison to the seriousness of what we're seeing over in Ukraine at the moment. Football needs to be seen to be doing something. And I think this is a, is a good step where to go. Now, we can, we can come on to the FIFA thing shortly and whether the decisions being taken are, are harsh enough, whether the sanctions and punishments are harsh enough. I think this is the correct decision from the FA. I, I don't think there's any other option for them, really, than, than to mm. do this. Like you say, they are a little bit late to the party. They could have announced this uh, a few days ago. They didn't, but I think we've come to expect with the footballing governing bodies and authorities in this country that they are very, very slow to react. So I welcome this decision. I think everyone welcomes the decision. It's my inkling that I don't think Russia will be competing on any level in terms of international football for the foreseeable as well. But we'll wait and see on that because we know what the powers that Mm. be at FIFA are like, which I'll come on to shortly when we get to our Get in the Sea segment. (laughs) Okay. um, So we'll, we'll save that for now. We might come back to that in a minute then, but just to add what the official line from FIFA is, is they've said Russia aren't allowed to compete under the Russian flag, which means they can compete as a kind of no nation yeah. team, which we've seen before. Same as we have in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm gonna, in the Olympics. I'm going to have to go off on one now because you brought it up. <laughs> right. So Russia were given the Winter Olympics in Sochi a few years ago. And yeah. a couple of years before that Olympics took place, there was a report filed suggesting that powers that be in Moscow had come up with a comprehensive doping plan for their athletes. Mm. And this was brought to the attention of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, two years at least before the Winter Olympics in Sochi. They didn't do anything about it. They got found out, the Russians, for doping, and therefore they got banned. They didn't get banned. They were just allowed to compete under a different name. Yeah, and if they win, they're not allowed to receive the medal or something like that. Not allowed to receive the medal. They're not allowed to show the flag. There's no national anthem. That's not punishment. I know it's not. I know we're talking about the athletes shouldn't be punished. Like I said before, we shouldn't be blaming the footballers. The athletes shouldn't be punished. It's not their fault. Mm. But if that's the decision taken by the International Olympic Committee for a case of doping, why aren't FIFA taking a greater stand? Because this is not doping. This is an invasion. I think it's quite obvious why FIFA aren't taking a stand. And it's to do with the large amount of money that Russia has and the large amount of money that has flowed from Russia into FIFA. Well, it's not them hosting the World Cup last year and various other sporting events and the power that they have over the organisation. 100%, Jim. And let's not forget that uh, Infantino said that the 2018 World Cup held in Russia was the best World Cup of all time. I just think that 
if that is the punishment that was taken by the International Olympic Committee for Russians doping, there's no leg to stand on no. here. It should be, Russia should be eliminated from being able to qualify for the World Cup. That should be their punishment. The ridiculous scenario we find ourselves in as well is if FIFA allow an unbadged, unflagged Russian team to compete at the World Cup qualifiers, they'll be forced to punish Poland, potentially the Czech Republic, Sweden, whoever faces them in the qualifiers. So those teams... Sweden have got them in a World Cup uh, qualifier, a playoff. So who, and, and well, Sweden Poland have refused we, to play them as well. So, yeah. so if they refuse to play those fixtures, it will be them that is expelled from the competition yeah. rather than but, the country well, who is... Sweden, ref- Sweden have said, we will, fine, we won't go. Well, they all have now. Czech Republic have as well. But there'll, no. be, there'll be chaos if FIFA allow Russia to, to play in the World Cup, which, by the way, I think Russia had a, a decent hand in in voting the World Cup to be held in Qatar, by the way. Mm. I think that it's, it's all interlinked and we can talk about the politics and the kind of the underhandedness of how FIFA conducts their business. But Marley's right, you know, like you know, all of these countries, I think that they're doing the right thing by saying we'll happily not qualify for the World Cup to stand up for what is right on a human level. Mm. My feeling is on a human level, what is going on in Ukraine from a Russian perspective is unacceptable. Mm. And therefore, there needs to be punishments. Now, not qualifying for the World Cup, oh no, what, you know, is that really going to change anything? Boots on the ground in Ukraine? Probably not. But I think we need to do as much as we can to hamper them to punish yeah. them for the actions they've taken. Well, and they, I think they should it's be fair kicked, enough. They should be kicked out anyway just because of this. Because oh, there should be no like, way back now. For what, example, yeah, like Sweden are saying we won't go if yeah. you know if we need to. Well, that shouldn't be the case because Russia should just be expelled well, now and Sweden should be in the World Cup. Well, in, well Russia and FIFA do this, right? They keep teams, or UEFA do this, they keep teams apart. So Russia and Ukraine weren't allowed to face each other. Yeah. Kosovo and Albania aren't allowed to face each other. And I think there's a couple of other countries in the Balkans in the that Europa aren't allowed League to face well, each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shakhtar so, and Zenit can't play each other, yeah, for example. Russian teams and Ukrainian teams are kept apart in, in the European competitions. Yeah, Mali's dead right. So, so we have seen FIFA do this. And we've also seen them suggest that politics doesn't have a place in football. And people that say that are foolish to me. Mm. Politics doesn't belong in sport. Okay, it doesn't belong in sport in your opinion, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. Of course it's everywhere. there. It's intertwined. <laughs> that's, it's that's life. what politics is. It's 100%. everywhere. It yeah. affects, anyway. affects everything, every walk of life. I, I, I hate politics. I hate talking about it. I hate thinking about it because there's so much you don't you don't know that you sort of have to, you, you sort of drip fed information. And you know that it's like the tip of the iceberg of what you know and you've got to make a, a thing of it. But it... Mm-hmm. it affects every walk of your life whether it's your gas bill your where you go on holiday your everything your football team whatever it's, yeah, the, it's, the it's everywhere you walk on to get to work it's all politically yeah, intertwined isn't it it's, also it's, football is a great reflector of politics and kind of social opinion it's like things that happen on a pitch and within sport often mm. reflect the feelings of a nation and the attitude of a nation particularly like the, the blm movement is a perfect example of that yeah, yeah, I mean, even this season we've seen stuff, you know, like even stuff that isn't political, like Kurt Zuma kicking his cat. <laughs> you know, the amount of outrage that was shown on that, I think, reflects, yeah. you know, reflects the, the anger of the nation yeah. when, when that video circulated. And that's because people care about what their sports people are getting up to. So I think that that is, yeah. I think that is definitely worth of, mentioning. Loads of support over the weekend and stuff, you know, for Ukrainian players. Zinchenko and Mikolenko uh, for City and Everton the weekend, hugging and stuff before the game and the massive round of applause mm-hmm. and Ukrainian mm-hmm. flags everywhere in, in every stadium. Yeah. Um, I seen a clip this morning of Benfica, Roman Yeremchuk came on. Um, he, they give him the captain's armband. Everyone stood up and clapped like ovation from both sets of, sets of uh, fans and he, he started crying because he couldn't, he couldn't, he didn't expect this kind of support and 
Last week, Malinovsky in the Europa League scored for Atalanta, which was just written in the stars that the Ukrainian guy was going to score um, and reveal a T-shirt as like, no, t- no war in Ukraine and stuff like that. Mm. And, and there's a Russian, uh, the Russian tennis player as well, writing on the yeah, camera. Rublev, yeah, Rublev, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very interesting to see ahead of the Carabao Cup final as well, whether there be any tributes or any kind of mention of the crisis, and there was, and that is incredibly ironic considering... Chelsea's ownership mm. and the fact that Roman Abramovich is very good friends. In fact, Putin sees Abramovich as a brother, sorry, yeah. as a son, in terms of that's how close that relationship is. So it's it's really intertwined with football, yeah. p- p- politics and this particular and crisis. And that just, that's hints at what I was saying before. We know, we know well, before this weekend that Abramovich is a Russian and a rich one, and that's mm. it. And then this weekend we find out, or, well, we don't find out, but we it sort of comes to the the forefront that he's very heavily involved in Russian politics mm. and Russian politics is is mm. what has caused this this crisis this war in Ukraine now so you know football is linked with everything whether you like it or not um and once people re- you know realize that then that is where you can kind of get your head around the situation and make more sense of it the obvious news around Roman Abramovich and his ownership of Chelsea, by the way, is that he has tried to hand control of the club over to the Chelsea Charitable Foundation. If you want to hear the latest on that, then Fergal discussed it on last night's Weekend Review podcast. You can listen to that. The kind of addition to that news that's come out today is, as yet, the Charitable Foundation have not yet taken control. They haven't agreed to take over the running of the club. And the thought there is that they will then become accountable legally for what happens within the football club when they have made no previous decisions up to this point. So there is no clear path for Chelsea at the moment and obviously question marks hanging over Abramovich's ownership, particularly if the UK government takes the decision to freeze assets or even take control of assets that are owned by Russian businessmen living in the UK. So there are some question marks over what happens to Chelsea from here and what happens to that two billion pound of debt that currently Chelsea Football Club have to Roman Abramovich as well. But we will keep you abreast of that as and when the news comes. We're going to get slightly more lighthearted next on Football Social Daily. We've had a bit of a rant already, but we're going to have a proper rant next because Get In The Sea is up after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. It's Get In The Sea. An opportunity to get really angry about something we shouldn't necessarily get angry about that's happened in the weekend's football. Niall, you've already had yours in terms of (laughs) FIFA. Have you said your bit? Do you feel like you've got it off your chest now? I'm going to start with what I always say when we do this, that my Get In The Sea is the name of the feature Get In The Sea. It needs to be called Get In The Bin because there's nothing wrong with getting in the sea. Right, now I've got that off my chest. Um, <laughs> is that it? All right, yeah, that's it. Um, No, I think FIFA needs to get in the sea. Just get rid of it and start again. FIFA isn't fit for purpose. It is rotten to the core. And I just think that for too long now, FIFA has been incompetent. I think for too long now, we have suggested that there is an issue with corruption within our game. We've seen that trickle down into UEFA. Michel Platini, people like Sepp Blatter, and it is not acceptable. And it clearly still exists within FIFA. And I know it's a harder problem to tackle, but Marley's right when he said in the last section that politics and football are intertwined. 
They absolutely are because football is the global game. It's the world game. It's, it's the most popular sport on earth. You've got the most eyes on that sport than any other on the planet. So therefore, you're going to attract that sort of attention when it comes to the political and, and financial side of things. But I just think FIFA isn't fit mm. for purpose. I think that we need to shut FIFA down, start up a new governing body. Whether that means we have to start up a new world type of World Cup, then fine. But I just think that at the moment, FIFA isn't fit for purpose. We've seen that on a number of occasions. I think with the decisions that have been taken recently and possibly could be taken in the next few days as we record this, I think that could shed even more light on how incompetent they are. So for me, I just think we should get we should get rid of them. I just think that it's hard to do because how do you get rid of FIFA? It's like, how do you get rid of the government? How do you get rid of any other mm. power or governing body? It's it's not an easy thing to do, but I've just I've just had enough of them. I just think that they're they're useless. I don't think they're fit for purpose. I think that they're decomposed. Um, from from sort of the inside out, it's just completely stagnant and not a very good representative of the world game. So for me, FIFA needs to get in the sea. A governing body that wasn't a business would be a good start, that was more run like the country's FAs rather than a money-making machine would be an interesting step. Marley, who are you doing for get in the sea? Uh, I was just going to add to that, actually. The, um, the, the president of FIFA, Infantino, has an Order of Friendship medal from none other than, than Vladimir Putin. So wow. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you a lot, like an order of friendship medal, by the way, is just a, basically something that makes Russia look better. Um, somebody that's done something to make Russia a better sort of place. But if you're getting that from a guy who started a war, what have you done? You know, <laughs> what have you done for him? And I know he, he was involved in the bringing the, the World Cup to Russia and things like that. But even that, like, you know, the last World Cup's been in Russia and then... Uh, and then Qatar, you know, how much, how much bounty backhanders and dirty stuff has gone on there. So, yeah, fully agree with, with Niall's um, choice. But obviously from this weekend, I think the main talking point of any football in action uh, came at Goodison Park. Um, and I know we, if if I get in the sea or get in the bin, whatever, was... was Get in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, we, we've put VAR in the sea so much that we, we should be polluting the world with, with how much VAR is in there. Um, yeah, but just the whole the whole thing from, from Rodri's handball, um, the whole decision-making thing was, was just knackered. Um, nothing worked. There was no clarity on, on anything. There wasn't, there wasn't much... Um, there just wasn't much sort of direction or anything. Like, it was a clear handball. The only decision you had to make was, was, was it offside or not? And then it just wasn't very... Mm. That was clear as mud, basically. And everyone's still arguing three days later whether it was, oh, you know, it can't have been handball because he was offside and the, the linesman flagged for offside. But that's it, not what they were deciding over. Yeah. And they announced that the decision was that it was unclear whether it was a handball or not. That was the official line, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And then Lampard said after the game as well that the referee told him after the game that it that it wasn't offside. Uh, that yeah, that it wasn't offside. So the decision was: was it handball or not? This and is how stupid. how we've can been... you not come to the decision that that was handball? We've I don't know if it was the t-shirt before. rule or what. That's it, Marley. We've been down this road before. The t-shirt rule with handball was supposed to clear up handball because they yeah. tweaked the law at the start of last season and it was an absolute nonsense. Just doomed to fail. Like but then which, what just... if you're wearing a long sleeve? <laughs> oh, which, Where does your sleeve end? Or well, they can just do it. I know it's harsh and you'll have people kicking the ball up against people's hands and stuff. But if they just do it, if the ball hits your arm in the penalty area, whether you mean it or not, it's a penalty. Yeah. I know it's bloody harsh, right? Well, I think the t-shirt rule might is ruin designed the game a so little bit, you, but... you have your arms behind your back. 
as a lot of defenders do, yeah. it can hit that part and point to the top part of my shoulder, which can't go behind my back. That yeah. kind of gets rid of the doubt that if it hits that, it potentially would be a handball. But it doesn't. It doesn't work. <laughs> it still doesn't work on any level. Yeah, it's just another shocking decision, and you're still going to get bad decisions from VAR. We've said this so many times, but it's just again, it's it's depressing and exasperating talking about it every single mm. week. Mm. I watched the game with my eight-year-old lad, who's decided he's a City fan. He's a fairly new City fan. Doesn't really understand anything about football particularly, and it was one of the first games we've sat down and watched together. He was like. He was convinced it was a handball. <laughs> he yeah. understood it was a handball and he watched the replay. So if he can get it, surely the guy's sitting well, in Stockley Park can work it out. Lampard said his daughter was uh, three years old and she could have told you uh, it was <laughs> things. So yes, I mean, it was daft, but... And also what's daft know. is the fact that Lampard will get fined now for what he said that's about the, the referees. That's the worst thing, mm. yeah. He'll get fined now for the comments he made about the referees and the referees were incompetent. I think a lot of people can agree that they made the wrong decision. Now, that offside element to it is in there and there are probably City fans screaming at the podcast and it was offside anyway, it doesn't matter. But at the end of it the wasn't. day, it, it wasn't offside because they moved on and focused on the handball. And even if even if it was offside and they glossed over that, then there's another incompetent decision to add to the collection. So yeah. I just think that the fact that Lampard now will get a, a letter from the FA saying you've been fined for breach of rule whatever... Um, for your comments after the game against Manchester City about the referee and the officials, um, that's that's poor. Yeah, that's really poor. You know, I think one of Lampard's quotes was, "At best, it's incompetence. At worst, it's who knows." Yeah, which I know is kind of insinuating slightly more than a, which a I poor don't referee like, because I don't I don't believe the league is corrupt. I don't believe decisions are made. I, no, I, and I we, can understand that, and I'm probably with you in in the in the main for that in terms of agreeing with you, but. I definitely think that when you interview a manager straight after a game, when they're fighting for their lives and they've been undone by a, a, a ropey decision, mm. um, then, yeah, I, I do think that there's an understandability there when it comes to Lampard's frustrations and the fact he's going to get fined for it. I don't know if I like that. Could yeah. be an absolutely massive decision, both ends of the table as well. We've talked about how close it is between City and Liverpool. At the top of the table, at the bottom of the table, it's even closer. Everton now just one point above Burnley in those potential relegation zones and the other team that are in trouble just above Everton another point above them so two points off the relegation zone are Leeds United who have parted company with their manager Marcelo Bielsa and that is my get in the sea today not the sacking of Marcelo Bielsa but the over the top praise of Bielsa now his reign (laughs) at Leeds United had finished undoubtedly Bielsa is a great manager He is an idealistic manager who got the best out of the players that were at his disposal. But he was ultimately a manager who came unstuck by his inflexibility about the way he wanted to play football. Yeah, he was unlucky with injuries, but I think there is another manager who would look at the injuries and the lack of depth and probably could have got better results than Marcelo Bielsa has, particularly over the last couple of games. And I think the reaction to his sacking has come close to fetishization and the talk of a permanent tribute to him at Ellen Road is just absolute madness and potentially an insult to Leeds managers who have actually done more and achieved more than just winning the championship and living in and two up two down on a back street of Leeds somewhere he's a good man he's done a lot for the club he's done a lot for the city his work for charity and his work in the community at Leeds has been outstanding and probably should be a blueprint to other managers who take control of clubs and look what they can offer back 
But I think, in my opinion, if you fast forward 30 years, Bielsa's time at Leeds, the three and a half years he spent there, will be no more than a footnote. And I think the way that Leeds fans and football fans in general... that's well harsh. That's harsh. No more than a footnote footnote. for Leeds or no more than a footnote in the Premier League? No more than a footnote for Leeds. Oh, that's harsh. No, No, I don't agree with that. I'd agree with you if if you said no more than a footnote in terms of the Premier League. Because let's, let's be honest here. He got Leeds promoted... They love him. There's murals there. He's been brilliant in the community. You need to remember how bad Leeds were when uh, he came on, when yeah. he came in. It uh, was they were insane. They were shocking. Yeah. They were absolute. I think that the credibility that he has with Leeds fans I totally understand it. Mm. However, in the Premier League, he's come out to the Premier League and he's not achieved what people thought he would achieve in the Premier League. But then again, he's probably overachieved with the players that Leeds have got, like Marley says. So, 100%. In, you terms, think, in terms of the Premier League, he'd be a footnote, but not, you, not for Leeds United. He's, he's, he's a hero there, and understandably so. But do you think he will be classed in the same way in 20 years' time? No, because he, ha- he never has been. I mean, he's, a, he's yeah. a very good coach, but he's never managed at an elite level, has he, really? I mean, he's managed a couple of French clubs. He's managed in mm, uh, Newell's old boys in Argentina. Leeds United's probably the biggest club in terms of a global stature that he's ever managed. And I, I think that that is just cool. kind of the way his career has progressed. I don't think that's, that's anything against him, but I, I, don't, I don't think we'll see I'd him... i say it's between Bilbao and Marseille, to be honest. Oh, yeah, Marseille are a big club as well, of course, yeah. I mean, but I, I just think in, in general with, with Bielsa, he's done a very good job at Leeds. He's ran out of steam. Like you say, Jimmy, he died on the hill. Um, he, he didn't change his methods. He was always I like him. as I mean, well. Look, there's, was... there's more chance of him... Packing in football and changing the methods. He was the most likable thing about Leeds United. Let's, let's, let's not forget that. So I like him as a manager, but I think the reaction to his departure has been over the top. And like I say, I think the kind of the way he's been lifted up and praised for actually not doing what yeah. a football manager should do. And a football manager, like you say, Marley, it was never going to happen. He was never going to adapt. He was never going to change. But the most important thing to a football manager should be winning football matches mm-hmm. and not playing a certain type of football, particularly when you don't have the personnel to play that type of football. I think they do, though. Because he's, well, he's made it, them it play worked, that way. It worked last year. when they, they all, I think they finished in, somewhere around mid the, the, the quality, the yeah, injuries, Phillips Bamford out, Bamford out has been oh, been huge for that's them. Killed them. Absolutely yeah. huge for them. All the centre-backs injured. Yeah, but also they've got some terrible players. Like Pascal Strike's one of the worst defenders I've ever seen in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. And I don't normally like throwing players under I said the bus, this last but he's week. been shocking the last three or four games. Against Manchester United, he was abysmal. Against yeah. Liverpool, he, he that was just an awful, shocking performance from him. So... Yeah, I think that probably Bielsa's been overachieving with that group of Leeds players for ages. Mm. And and yeah. maybe getting smashed 6-0, 4-0 is their level. And 7. And 7-0. Seven, <laughs> put 7 past them, didn't they, back in uh, December? So, yeah, uh, shame really. But new lad's going to come in, isn't it? Jesse Marsh, apparently. So, yeah. We'll have to see what he can do. We will talk about that later on in the week. Because Jesse Marsh is the first American we've had in the... No, there's been two others. I was going to say, I was going to say, can you since. name him? I was trying to remember what his name was. Bob Bradley. Yeah, Bob Bradley. That's the guy I'm thinking. Can you of. remember Bob the other Bradley. one? Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. I don't. I. This one's hard. The second one. The f- um, I want to say it was for Fulham as well, but Bob Bradley was Fulham, right? Bob Bradley was yeah, Fulham. Yeah. I don't know. Don't Do you know? know can you give us a clue on, on the club, Marley? It'll narrow it down a lot. Put it this way: I thought he was German. Well, a bit like Owen Hargreaves, who's actually Canadian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm, now, I'm now thinking Jürgen Klinsmann. <laughs> even though he, I don't Jürgen he, Klinsmann he, managed America. He did, yeah. yeah. He, he managed was, he lives the opposite over there. way, yeah. Go on, who um, is it, Marley? It Where's... is Huddersfield Town former manager, David Wagner. He's not American, right, is he? He's, he's American. Is he? Yeah. Wow. 
That is Sorry, a... Bob Bradley managed Swansea, by the way, not Fulham. Swansea, not they wear white. Same yeah. <laughs> wow, David, that's a, that's a great pop I quiz question for, sure for the future. Yeah, because is he not Wagner. was he not manager of Schalke and now he's manager of Young Boys, isn't he? Yes, in Switzerland. Yeah. Yes. he was born in Frankfurt. He was born in Frankfurt. Apparently, though, he's American. Someone's <laughs> had a dodgy Wikipedia entry. <laughs> Big question mark no, over this. No, look, it, well, I trust you. I trust you. I googled it. It just said, uh, yeah, two American managers have managed in the Premier League: Bob Bradley and. Um, David Wagner. So, if anyone's annoyed at that and is convinced that he is actually German, just go on, go direct all your attention to sportingnews.com because that's where I got it from. He was born in Frankfurt, West Germany. His mother is German. His mother married an American. There okay. we go. There is the heritage. We'll talk about Jesse Marsh though on tomorrow's podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because Once he's probably the best. He's probably the best of the bunch. I'd say. Okay. Well, wait until that's announced, and no doubt it will be announced before tomorrow's Football Social Daily when we'll be back with another daily Premier League update. We'll see you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. <laughs>